T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com sports Station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good Saturday morning, Chicago. Welcome back inside the clubhouse on 670 to score. I am David Hall along with Bruce Levine broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios until 11 o'clock this morning, as we do each and every week. And today, today we wonder is this the last weekend of baseball's work stoppage? Could we be nearing in agreement, could we be nearing another delay or the cancellation of games? It is the ninth inning of negotiations, Bruce. The bases are loaded. Commissioner Rob Manfred has been called on in the role of the closer. Can Rob Manfred save baseball? Hello, Bruce. Good morning, David, and good morning to our great fans of the Chicago Cubs, the Chicago White Sox, all other who listen to us every Saturday Uh 52 weeks out of the year talking baseball here on the score on Inside the Clubhouse. And David, I think uh, just like I thought from the very beginning, by the end of February, we would have a, a very a deal. Uh, again, it's all about leverage. It's all about losing money. The reality of losing money is there for the owners right now. The reality of losing money for the players is there right now. And we heard movement yesterday for the first time between the commissioner of baseball and the head of the MLBPA, Tony Clark, and of course, uh, Rob Manford, the commissioner of baseball, had a conversation for the first time, it seems, well, in 2022 for sure. And uh, first time at these meetings where Manford came in in the afternoon of these negotiations and uh, kind of rode in on his hopefully white horse. And uh, David. <laughs> Uh, hopefully something gets done here. They did have a lot of movement yesterday in the negotiations about a draft lottery, uh, maybe the most aggressive draft lottery in sports where four to seven teams will be involved. And why is that important? Well, we'll discuss that. But one of the major reasons is it's an anti-tanking device. So if if you are bad, you are not guaranteed the first, second, or third pick, even the fourth pick in the draft if you tank. And uh, this is a, a very good sign 
something the players wanted desperately, something, David, and I'll get your opinion on this, I think is very good for the game. Oh, absolutely. It's progress and it's necessary and it's overdue, frankly. So I'm glad that they are finally getting to that point in the discussion where they're getting to exchange uh, proposals and they're not being dismissed and they're being discussed. And I think that's progress. So there you have the players on one side, you got the owners on the other. Where's the fans? The fans are out in our audience. 312-644-6767. What do you think about the latest? What do you think about where you are in terms of getting tired of hearing these updates and how much confidence do you have in Rob Manfred coming in? Because Bruce, this is the analogy I use. This is the bases loaded. This is the ninth inning. We, I think every baseball fan wants Rob Manfred to come in and, and be like Liam Hendricks and, and, and shut it down and, and close down this work stoppage. And I think the fear is, is that he's going to be like bad Craig Kimbrell and load the bases and walk a run in and, and blow a save because the clock is ticking. The calendar becomes March on Tuesday and the deadline is Monday. So I don't think that I don't have a lot of confidence right now or as much as maybe you do. The optimism, yeah, it was different yesterday. I think Rob Manford showed up. I guess, it, am I wrong to wonder why it took this long, Bruce? Why did the commissioner of baseball with the game teetering on – on you know the precipice of this this very shaky cliff here, why did it take him until Friday to show up to these negotiations? Well, he's not the commissioner of baseball in my mind. He is the CEO of the owners. Okay, that is the differentiation we look at. Uh, looking at Judge Landis being the first commissioner of baseball and the ultimate authority when it came to uh, making rules for baseball for uh, 25 years and uh, what a commissioner is in sports today. Commissioner in sports today is a CEO representing the owners. Tony Clark is the CEO representing the players. So to, uh, to, to have an expe- expectation that, the, uh, that Rob, Rob uh, Manford can do something as a commissioner of baseball to change this, um, I think would be a little bit off. Uh, I, I don't think he really has that control. But he fancies himself a deal maker. This is what these are his words, not mine. I'm not putting them in his mouth. He fancies himself a deal maker. And if he is the CEO of the owners, I think that's well put. But who's the caretaker of the game? Doesn't that isn't that part of his responsibility and frankly that, that's, obligation? That's you, me, and the fans. Well, we're the ones that uh, talk about the game. We're the ones that hopefully are objective enough to look at both sides. And the fans are the ultimate judge, whether they buy the game literally, figuratively, go to the ballparks, buy the, uh, the swag, buy the merchandise, uh, support the game. That's, that's your judge and jury. Uh, you, don't need, you don't need the, um, the, the guy that runs it because, in fact, uh, you know, Rob is hired by the owners. He's not hired by the players, Okay. He works at the behest of the owners. If the owners don't like the way he's representing them, he gets fired. That's how it's been ever since Judge Landis passed away in 1944. They've all been hired to be fired at some particular point. Now, Bud Selig stepped aside. Bud Selig is still the uh, commissioner emeritus of Major League Baseball. Bud Selig is still getting paid $6 million a year in his advisory uh capacity with Major League Baseball. So 
Look, I don't, I don't think fans should be upset, but they shouldn't be naive about the fact that, that Rob Manfred can step in and do something himself he, to send people back into the back into on the fields playing the game while they negotiate a deal. I respect where you're coming from, Bruce, but I think that's part of the problem. I think that Rob Manfred has looked at this as 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 him being a CEO and has been detached, and and, and the the considerations of how 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 much baseball has lost in terms of fan appeal and interest. I don't. I think that's what's missing from this entire conversation. It's very clinical. It's very detached. There's no. There's not a baseball romantic in the room. And and I know that right. may sound a little naive and, and overly simplistic, no, but, but that's it, it what's missing here. It doesn't, here. David. No, it doesn't. You're right. I, I I agree with you. I would I would like to to have a commissioner um, who was loved like Bart Giamatti for the uh, short time that he was the commissioner of baseball and could wax poetic about the game and how much it meant to him. And uh, that, was, that was a different type of commissioner. Today you have, you have a businessman who is your commissioner of, of baseball, and he, hopefully he has a great marketing background and listens to his marketing people. Baseball is way far off, way far off from the other sports and marketing the sport. It, it's just uh, light years away. And, and the way to get a deal done here is to uh, for both sides to walk out of that those meetings once they do get a deal done and say let's do everything we can to market our game and market our players and make the stars shine like the other sports do because baseball has not done that well i think that's a good point bruce and i think we saw again incremental progress yesterday when the conversation shifted not only to the anti-tanking mechanisms, but also about changes to the game and pace of play, which were front and center in terms of the conversation yesterday. So I think we'll have to wait and see. It is getting late here early. (laughs) Three days left to the deadline, and we'll wait to see what happens today. It is good news that Rob Manfred is there, and he's having one-on-one conversations you know, with Tony Clark, we don't know the, the, the context or the content of those conversations. Nobody does, which I think is almost what gives us more hope because it can't be spun, it can't be twisted, it can't be massaged. Only two guys know what they talked about and only two guys know the urgency with which they spoke. And to me, that was the best sign of a Friday where there were mixed messages coming out of both sides. Your thoughts matter, 312-644-6767. Yes, Bruce, we've got a big show today. Pete Crow Armstrong, the Cubs prospect, is going to join us at the bottom of the hour, 930. Jim Callis going to check in with Cubs and Sox prospects around baseball at 10 o'clock. 1030, we're going to check out in Florida, go out there, Jupiter, Florida, where uh, Ken Davidoff from the New York Post will bring us the very latest on negotiations. But right now, we want to hear from you. As Bruce said, 312-644-6767 on the score listener line, which is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. That's where we find Duke. Duke, good morning. Welcome inside the clubhouse. Good morning, guys. Thank you for taking my call. I just want to double and triple down on everything you guys saying. As a lifelong Southsider, middle-class White Sox fan, I'm just looking at a a room full of uh, very wealthy individuals arguing, and and, and they have the right to negotiate and do all those things. But as a fan, I just want to see my guys out on the field. And just like in 93-94, when my White Sox were poised to possibly win a World Series, 
here we are looking at kind of like another strike again. And, and and you guys remember when that strike happened in the early 90s, it really tore the heart out of baseball for some years. I think it was the home run race that really brought people back to baseball. So these guys got to be careful with losing fans with all of this and moving slow and thinking they can just take all the time in the world that they need to get this deal done. I'm going to hang up and let you guys talk. Thanks for taking my call again. Thanks, Duke. Bruce, when you look back at what was lost in 94, that's uh, irreparable harm. Is that the way that you view the stakes in in this game? And this time around, Rob Manfred said if you cancel games, it would be disastrous. Those are his words, not ours. And yet we are, you know, 72 hours away from that happening. David, let's take a, a better view of uh, what happened after the strike of 1994 and, and into 95, where they lost 18 more games in 95, played 144 games. What was orchestrated by, by then Commissioner Bud Selig was the fact that we did have Cal Ripken in 95 break the Gehrig record. We did have Sosa and McGuire. But what's missed was what Selig did, and for a man uh, uh, of an older age at the time, had a, a true vision of where baseball had to go. We got interleague play. We got divisions changed. We got teams changed from American League to the National League. We, more importantly, every single team, David, every single team from 1992 to the present time and all during Bud Selig's time got a new ballpark. Every single one. You talk about marketing. You talk about listening to the fans and giving them what they want. That is exactly what Bud Selig did with uh, his vision of what baseball had to do to modernize itself, stay relevant, and keep people coming to the ballparks. And in, in the case of the Atlanta Braves, they didn't get one ballpark. They got two within that period of time. Texas Rangers got two in that period of time. So that is, what is the next step for baseball after this deal is done? What is the, the next thing that they are going to do to help appeal to the, to the baseball fan to make the sport more interesting, more fascinating, and more watchable? Is it simply just saying, hey, we're having betting casinos in our ballparks. Come and enjoy it 365 days a year. Did you also mention looking the other way when everyone was hitting so many home runs and getting larger and bigger and stronger uh, as – Bud they... didn't get any larger. He's the same size. He's he's actually smaller now. <laughs> but I know what you're saying, Bruce. That was the, the post-94 result. And I think that when, when you look at what the players are, are looking for, we, we heard from Ian Happ on, on the program on uh, Bernstein and Rahimi yesterday talking to Dan and Layla. We'll get to his comments in a second because they're important. But let's go back to the phone lines and talk to Mike, who is in Glencoe. Good morning, Mike. Welcome inside the clubhouse. Hey, good morning, fellas. Uh, two quick points. Uh, first, uh, on following up that last caller's comment, if anybody thinks that Rob Manfred is anything other than a labor lawyer and that each day of this strike, including his appearance yesterday, he hasn't been scripted for the last eight to ten months, they're dead wrong. Uh, the negotiations labor, you've got a labor lawyer in charge of Major League Baseball. 
and all his all he is focused on and all his skills are, are on this step and this is all planned out and it will end when the owners uh, who have a map on this decide okay this is far enough this is when our you know our schedule runs off and and it's just very disappointing to see we don't have a faith Vincent we don't have a part Giamatti you don't have an individual who is a visionary and as the commissioner you have a labor lawyer and this is what you get when you have a labor lawyer as commissioner on a more positive note Bruce tell me please that when the Sox get back to spring training, they're going to find a replacement for Zach Collins, and they're going to find a credible backup catcher. Give me some good news there, will you? <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you certainly hope so. Um, I, I think the backup catcher is is really paramount for them, and, and I believe uh, a right fielder, left-handed hitting uh, right fielder, David and I will get into that in, a, in one of our segments today, is, is really important. Uh, so... Uh, from all that and and your thoughts about you know Rob Manford, yeah, I mean they they hired their labor lawyer. They hired a guy that's very smart. Uh, they they hired a guy that uh, will um, do what the owners want them him to do, but also have some opinions about the game along the way. But again, the commissioner of baseball, the the name in itself should probably be changed to the CEO of baseball. MLB. I don't disagree with that, Bruce. I think that's a really good distinction to make. And it bothers me that it is so true because I think that is the approach that, that you're taking. I think you want, as a fan, somebody to represent your interests as well, even as simplistic as that sounds. We know what the owners want. We kind of know what the fans would like. What do the players want? Their message has been pretty strong and pretty unified, Bruce. And we heard from Ian Happ on Friday, as I alluded to, and he tried to express – his hope that uh, the fans understand what players are actually fighting for. We have a group of players who in the middle or the end, what would hopefully be the end of their off season when they would be traveling to Arizona or Florida or wherever and kind of spending those last few days with their family and loved ones and friends. They're jumping on a plane and traveling to Florida in West Palm to be there in person to try to help move these things along. I think that's the players want this the attentiveness from the entire group, all of the reps and other veteran players who are so involved in what's going on, all the hours that guys have put into being on. I can't count the number of hours that I've spent on Zoom calls and phone calls and text chains about what's going on and trying to help push this thing in the right direction. You know, the players are, are so heavily committed to getting this back on track, and we hope that the fans understand what we're fighting for. Bruce, the players have been pretty strong in, in uh, vocal and, and more visible, I think, with their message. And obviously we haven't heard from many owners, and, and that's by design. Maybe that's the way it should be. But um, Ian Happ, uh, not afraid to come on, and, and they tried to, in, in a very interesting interview, um, present the player's side of, uh, of where they stand. Yeah, I think uh, Dan and Layla did a great job with him yesterday on their show. And uh, obviously um, – you only got one real side of it from uh, Hap, but it was an important side to hear uh, because of the fact of where they're at and what they're trying to, to get done. Uh, and, and the major issue, David, the major issue, we haven't even heard them discuss right. uh, where they're at, and that is the luxury tax, also called the competitive balance tax. Let's listen to uh, Ian Hap yesterday talking a little bit about the luxury tax and how that impacts the players. It would be crazy in an industry 
that is growing the way that baseball is to think that we would be in a place where the luxury tax would be flat for the next two years. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And, and you would hope that that's something that I think everybody would understand. Bruce, I, I think Ian Happ made a really strong point there. And I think people from the outside, it's very difficult to relate to a pitcher making $15 million a year pitching every fifth day, but it's impossible to ignore the way the game has grown. And you think in that context, when you look at other sports, when you look at the NFL and you look at the NBA and you look at Major League Baseball, these these kind of proposed growths or spikes in, in, in the competitive balance tax seem more incremental than the growth of the game, which seems almost exponential. It seems like it's very different. There it does seem like the game can be potentially grown into a very profitable exercise and enterprise for right. owners, and it doesn't seem like the competitive balance tax and the proposals reflect that as much as Ian, and, and that's what I think Ian Happ was driving at. Well, see, see here's what happened, David. Over the prior two um, times that they got a CBA, the players, uh, to uh, to their own demise allowed a salary cap to take place. It's a true salary cap because they didn't get the proper amount of money raised in the luxury tax. It's at, it's at 214. It should be around 240 or 250, and it should have been raised incrementally over those right. last two. So right. what they agreed to while they were you know, looking around for other things to get for themselves, they agreed to a, a very harder soft cap on baseball, and none of the teams are going over it. Only the Dodgers, Yankees, Cubs, and Red Sox, I believe, have gone over that over this five-year period of time. So from that perspective, that soft cap that they had, which is the luxury tax, where you start getting charged tax after you spend a certain amount and lose draft picks, has been held held strong to by most of the owners. And, and the others in the bigger markets they can afford the, that, that tax, but it's not helping players uh, get their salaries. During this last five-year period, salaries dropped 7% over the last, uh, last work stop, or over the last five-year deal. Uh, they see this as a hard cap now, and that is a, a really big part of what this deal has to be about, and they have to start getting that number up there again for them to feel like, they're not uh, just like the other teams in a uh, salary cap situation. Wanted to get your thoughts on this, Bruce, before we break because we have to get to one. But Sports Business Group reported on Friday the Atlanta Braves had a $104 million profit in 2021. Their books are public, no other because of the, the, the ownership agreement and everything in Atlanta. Uh, other teams can protect their profit margins and their books when the owners claim that baseball is dying and nobody's making money, that's pretty strong evidence to the contrary. That comes out at a time Mm -hmm. in the midst of these negotiations. What role do you think that kind of information plays, if any, in these talks as they get down to the nitty-gritty? Well, it's eye-opening what they they take in. Uh, Probably a third of that big profit of the 104 came from winning the World Series. So that's something to keep in mind as well. But uh, there, there's no doubt with a brand new ballpark. And keep in mind, the Braves were able to use that ballpark for the first time uh, to its full extent, I, I believe, last year, 
maybe they had a year before in 2019. But uh, the reality is, is that uh, there is a lot of money being made. It's an $11 billion industry. Uh, it's, no, it's no great revelation that teams are making money. Uh, how much they make a year is irrelevant. It's how much the franchises are worth, okay? That's where the money's really at. Tom Ricketts bought the Chicago Cubs in 2009. Him and his family bought the, the team for $855 million. It is worth three-point-blank billion dollars now. Okay, good for Tom and his family. They made a great investment. Okay, so the money is really there, and it's to be realized anytime an owner wants to step aside and sell his franchise. The Chicago White Sox were bought for $19 million in 1981 by Jerry Reinsdorf and uh, his group. Uh, they, they are worth $1.7 billion today. Bruce, I think, though, when we talk about the trust that's necessary to, to see you know, optimism and hope, and also between the two sides, the players and the owners. What you said is true, but when you hear guys who in the past, unfortunately, these kind of, these kind of sound bites stand out. Bill DeWitt Jr. talks about the industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest. Tom Ricketts talks about biblical losses, so I think that, that erodes the trust that is necessary to get an agreement and also from fans who are waiting for one each day while the deadline nears February 28th. We'll continue to talk about this, but we're going to shift gears when we come back, Bruce. We're going to talk to uh, one of the Cubs' bright young prospects who was out at the minicamp in Arizona. Pete Crow Armstrong is a fine outfielder who the Cubs obtained in the Javi Baez trade. He will join us next inside the Clubhouse Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Now he's full go. He missed uh, the vast majority of last season with that shoulder injury and a, a base running mishap um, but he's full go right now he looks great um and and the best and I, I actually we were together in new york as well so we have a a long-standing relationship he's a he's an impressive young guy on and off the field and um to be to be quite candid with you guys i don't like i don't like making major proclamations but um you know he's one of the best center fielders i've ever seen in my career um and we we drafted a pretty good one in Boston in 2011 uh, from the University of South Carolina, and this is he's probably the best center fielder I've seen since then. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 674. Dave Hoffers combined here until 11 o'clock. That was the voice of Cubs Vice President of Player Development, Jared Banner, last week on the program, and he was talking about our next guest. And that brings us to our guest hotline brought, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And we find the Cubs outfield prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong. Good morning, Pete. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. That's high praise. And that's a lot of, uh, that, 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 that you might feel like a lot of pressure. You may be used to hearing a lot of those things. But when you hear somebody like Jared Banner uh, describe you in that way. What goes through your mind? Oh man, I mean it's a very high compliment. And um, you know, Jared Banner's the man. He's he's a he's a he's great at what he does. Um, you know, he makes this place run like it does. And um, you know, I just kind of use it as fuel. Um, you know, the, the comparisons and stuff aren't really on the forefront of my mind. So uh, you know, it's definitely nice to hear, and I appreciate that. But um, you know, my focus is on the field and what I'm uh, and what I'm doing. So that's what I got for that. Pete, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Chicago. I know Chicago fans are excited about uh, your future and uh, the, the, your track uh, with the Chicago Cubs. But take us back to uh, last July 
uh, the end of the month, you get traded for Javier Baez. You're already on the DL with an injury to your shoulder. How did you comprehend it? How difficult was it initially um, understanding that the, a team that made you their number one pick uh, just a year prior was already trading you to another team? And uh, wh- where did your mind go to initially, and where is it at now after that deal? Oh, um, you know, my mind's in a great place. Uh, my mind's happy being here in in, uh, in Mesa right now. And, um, you know, it's surprising, of course, but I'm, I'm sure it's surprising for, for everybody that gets traded their first time. Um, you know, I, I have no hard feelings towards that organization. They they started my career, and, you know, I, I owe the, the beginning of my career to them. So it was surprising, but, you know, stuff like that happens and stuff changes, so – I just tried rolling with the punches and, and, you know, my focus at that point was really on, on, you know, getting my shoulder right. So, um, you know, I was just excited to come out, come out to Arizona and continue with the rehab, uh, with the rehab process. And it's been amazing ever since. You know, people like to know about prospects. They like to know everything about them. And I know you're only you know, a month away from your 20th birthday. So to say that you've been a Cubs fan all your life is, you know, you've not been around very long, but your dad grew up a Cub fan in Naperville, from what I understand, Matt Armstrong. Did, did that, um, did that uh, make it easy for you to make the adjustment? Did, was that something that was, uh, yeah, you relate to the Cub party? How would you describe your childhood growing up the son of somebody who was a Cub fan? <laughs> um, well, there was there was definitely a lot of Cubs baseball on in the house, that's for sure. Um, you know, I remember, I remember my dad always throwing on that Kerry Wood twenty strikeout game, and um, <laughs> I mean, I had this, I had a, I had a pretty good backyard growing up where I could run around and stuff, and we had a wall that I don't, I don't think it was covered with ivy, but it, it looked enough like it. So I got to, I got to fantasize a little bit, uh, <laughs> and. You know, maybe who knows? Maybe uh, maybe catching balls out there uh, has helped me get to where I'm at today. But um, I mean, it's it's definitely a surreal thing being a Cub after being a Cubs fan. And um, you know, I can't say this enough to people, but it, being a Cubs fan and, and loving this organization for my you know my whole life, and then um, actually being a part of this place is is it's it's unbelievable, man. It's it's better than you can really imagine. Talk a little bit, Pete, about your, with, with all humility, but with, you know, with, with as much honesty as you can about where you're at, what your skill set is. Who do you think Pete Armstrong is now? Who do you expect Pete Crow Armstrong to be in the future? Uh, I, well, you know, I, I expect Pete Crow Armstrong to be a winner. I want, I want a ring uh, with, with this club, you know, so... Um, I think anything that I do will be driven based off of that. And, uh, you know, if, if, if I'm talking to the people of Chicago and the Chicago fans right now, that's what, that's what I want them to know is that we got a really good, you know, young core here and, and we got to, you know, our whole system, our whole organization top to bottom is, is the real deal. And you're going to be seeing some good baseball from the Cubs in the years to come. How about the, the a, a scouting I'll report? I'm sorry, David. Yeah, go give, ahead. give us a, a thumbnail sketch of, of, of some of some of your skills I know them but it's, it's probably going to sound better you talking a little bit about where your skills are and wh- where they're going yeah absolutely I, I mean you know I, I think uh, my defense is talked about a lot and that's what I take a lot of pride in 
Uh, I've always loved it ever since I got, you know, moved to the outfield when I was a, a little kid. And um, I, I feel like that's where I belong is in the outfield. And, uh, you know, I, it's something that I enjoy working on too. So, my, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a defense first player because I think I'll, you know, I'll surprise a lot of people with, with some of the power that I actually have and, and my hitting ability. And um, it's only going to get better after working with uh, a lot of these coordinators and hitting coaches here. Um, we put in a lot of time in the cages during my rehab. And um, they've definitely played a huge part in, in bringing me back healthy and, and uh, as a confident hitter. So, you know, I'm rolling into the year uh, and I'm, I'm going to want to hit, I'm going to want to go catch some balls and, um, I'm excited to be playing around uh, a lot of guys who, you know, want to do the same. Talking with Cubs outfield prospect Pete Crow Armstrong from Arizona. And Pete, obviously you come to the Cubs uh, in the in the Javi Baez trade and you are a graduate of Harvard-Westlake High School out in California. Your parents are actors. There's another Chicago baseball uh a star, if you will, in Lucas Giolito, who has a similar background, a Harvard-Westlake graduate whose parents are in acting. Do you have a relationship? Do you, do you know Lucas, and and is he a big deal at your high school? Oh, Lucas, yeah, Lucas will always be a big deal. I remember him getting his uh, his number retired a couple of years ago, uh, you know, big ceremony on the football field. and I mean, that guy's unbelievable. Uh, there's not much you can really, you can really say other than that. Um, but yeah, you know, um, Lucas is along with, along with Max Freed and, and Jack Flaherty, they've, they've all been super generous in their, uh, in divvying up their knowledge and, and their advice to, to myself, but also to other guys that I went to high school with, you know, they, uh, when they'd come back, they'd give their time and, um, I think that says a lot about them as, as people because of the positions they're in right now, you know, they're, they're all doing really well for themselves. And I know Lucas is a, is a, you know, he's a hot commodity on, on, on the South side. So, um, you know, for him to come back to, to the Valley, to Sherman Oaks and, um, you know, just be generous with uh, everything that he knows about the game and, and, you know, being somebody that's so far ahead of where, um, I was at and you know he's where I want to be it's it's very special getting to getting to kind of learn from them that's the voice of Pete Crow Armstrong one of the top prospects for your Chicago Cubs right here on the score and inside the clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw every Saturday from 9 to 11 52 weeks out of the year Pete uh what contact if any have you had with David Ross and his staff uh what uh what is the uh, experience like? Uh, how different is it from the instruction that you got with the Mets uh, for your brief time there as a uh, number one draft pick and uh, sailing through uh, you know, your first 30 bats and hitting 400 there before you uh, injured yourself? Um, you know, I, I think every organization is, uh, is different. But, they, I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of organizations share, share a lot of similarities as well. And, um, the work I got with the Mets was great. Um, like I said, they, they started off my career and, uh, I got to work with a lot of great coaches there and, um, that's, that's only carried over into the, into the Cubs organization as well. And as, as we get closer to, to spring training, it's, it's nice having, uh, some more bodies at the complex. It's, uh, it's starting to feel a little bit more like, you know, we're getting a little closer to being back on a field and, um, 
we've all been lucky being here uh, this off season. You know, we've gotten a lot of good instruction and uh, some real high level, you know, coaching. So, um, man, as as I go, I'm just excited to, to keep meeting people here and and keep working with everybody because it's going to be something special. So. You're a pretty savvy guy. You probably look ahead at the schedule. You kind of do the do the math and everything with uh, where you might be. Do you have a sense of where you might play this year? South Bend, Myrtle Beach, anything, anything uh, come to mind in terms of what you've been told? Uh, no, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can answer that one. I think uh, personally, I just I'm looking forward to getting back on the baseball field and, and staying healthy this year. Um, you know, I just I want to go somewhere and. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not really going to matter to me where, where I start. Um, I want to contribute to this, to this organization. I want to contribute every level I'm at. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to stay, stay as in the present as possible. And, um, you know, once we break camp, then I'll, uh, then I'll worry about what plan I have to get on. But up until then, I'm just excited to finish up the work here that we've been, you know, we've been doing for the last four months. Pete, uh, uh, final question for me, and David and I really appreciate uh, you uh, joining us uh, this morning. Uh, who's who are the guys that you hang with right now? Uh, what what are you uh, finding? Who who are the guys that make you laugh? And uh, you know, it's it's like the new kid in in school, uh, you know, getting traded and not knowing anyone in an organization. How's that been for you? I love that question. Um, it's been great. It's been an easy transition, you know, relatively. Um, it's always, I think for me, I, I, it was definitely scary getting traded. I didn't know what to expect. So, um, you know, it, it was scary. But I, I knew, you know, I knew Ed Howard coming in. That's one of my boys from, you know, back in the uh, playing in the, the high school summer circuit and, and all that good stuff. So, you know, coming in here, knowing Ed was going to be here, that definitely gave me some peace of mind. Uh, and then, what was so well it's it's great you know the the cubs they do a really good job of of you know putting people in the right places and um you know having us here for this off season camp i got a chance to kind of meet everybody you know and uh, a lot of guys my age too and and that was cool i think i made some really quick friends and and uh and owen casey and colin moreno and uh you know i i mentioned ed and i i could i could go down a whole list for you but you know, we just we have good people in this organization, and uh, I think anybody would have a easy transition coming in here. Pete, the future's bright, but we have a texture wants to revisit the past one last time. Matt Armstrong was a DuPage Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year. One of our texters reminds us: Has he told you about his glory days as a football player? <laughs> no, no, he hasn't. Um, I, I knew he could. I knew he could ball a little bit. I knew he was a uh, I heard he was kind of a psycho on the field, um, <laughs> playing with clubs and everything. But, but that's all. That's about all I know. I he, he tries to remind me that that he's where I got my speed. But um, I'd like to think that I got it from my mom. You know, uh, <laughs> my mom was always kicking both of our butts. So I think she's the real athlete in the family. Well, best it's of luck great. to you and everything that uh, is ahead of you. It, it's it, and we'll talk again because a lot of people love hearing from you. And and you know what, the it, you're young, you got a bright future, and it sounds like you understand what you need to do to kind of realize your potential. So, best of luck to you moving forward, Pete. 
I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, David. Take care. Pete Crow Armstrong, Cubs outfield prospect, all 19 years old. Bruce, he sounds savvy. He sounds like a guy that's wise beyond his years. He sounds like he could be a lot of fun if things pan out for him. Well, look, uh, look at where he went to high school. Look at the uh, the quality people that are that are coming out of there. Look at, I mean, communicator, absolutely. I mean, if if we wanted to take another 15 minutes with him, I'm sure he would have uh, shined even brighter about questions outside of the box uh, of what what life is like as a young player in the Cub organization living in Mesa, Arizona at age 20. I mean, there is so much to go into, but, but you know, the quality of the individual uh, is not surprising com- coming from where he comes from uh, and the high school he graduated from. There's another former Cubs prospect who was very impressive working his way through the Cubs system who there was a little bit of speculation about on a Friday afternoon. We will talk about him next inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 the score. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 the score. Dave Rob Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock. Just had a really good conversation with Pico Armstrong, the Cubs outfield prospect. We also have Jim Callis at the top of the hour and also Ken Davidoff from Florida, from the New York Post at 10.30. Bruce, I wanted to get this, though, in. Yesterday, our guy Jim Bowden from The Athletic tweeted out an idea or maybe some information. When the lockout finally ends, watch for the Rockies, Mariners, and White Sox to be heavily involved in the free agent outfield market for Chris Bryant, Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto, and Seiya Suzuki. Two ex-Cubs on that list. Chris Bryant would be the trigger for every Cub fan everywhere how likely, how ridiculous, where, what, what, what do you think of that possibility? Well, first of all, uh, Jim Bowden is an excellent reporter and is tied in, but he's really tied into Scott Boros, okay? Really tied into Scott Boros. There's a couple of Boros clients on that list, and uh, I think that it's not made up. I think that there were probably conversations with all those teams about those players. And I really feel that uh, Bryant fits in better in Seattle or Philadelphia than he does with the White Sox. And the reason I give you is that the White Sox probably need a left-handed bat in right field. I I believe that Conforto, uh, as we talked about a couple weeks ago here on the show, is the right guy. Coming off of a, a kind of a backwards year, not the year that he had in 2020, not what he, the promise he showed in 2000, uh, uh, or 21, not the promise he showed in, in 2020, but in reality, power hitting a left-handed hitter, pretty good outfielder, not great, uh, and uh, would fit in really well there if they don't think that uh, Sheets and um, Vaughn are the answer for right field at this point in time. But you don't think Conferto would be a better addition or signing than Chris Bryant, right? I, I don't it's wanna... not better. It's who fits uh, the need of that team, okay? So the need of the White – do the White Sox need right-handed hitting? I, I, don't, I don't think so. They, got, they, have, <clears throat> they have one of the great young power hitters in the game in Eloy and left. You have one of the great players in the game in center center field. You have a, a great shortstop, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> in Anderson. 
That's right, Andy. You have a switch hitter in uh, at third base. Uh, Your Honor, Your in, Honor could, could I rephrase the question? I object. Yes. Could I rephrase the question? Not do the White and Sox Abreu. need a left-handed hitter? Do the White Sox need a former MVP as they make the World Series run? Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a, it's a great point, David. You know, a lot of people, when I, I give them the lefty-righty stuff, they go, we don't give a blank about that. Is he a good player, and can he help right. us win? And the answer directly to your question is yes. Chris Bryant can help the White Sox win. He can play four or five positions. Uh, he can uh, bring a good attitude to the game every day. He brings a big power bat. So another outstanding right-handed hitter, sure, it would be welcome. I'm talking about balance for a team okay. that's trying to right. win World Series, and that's why I say Conforto. I don't think Conforto is the player that Chris Bryant is. No, I do not. Well, we will continue to speculate, and it is fun to consider, and we do have another hour left in the show, Bruce, so we'll talk about this some more because we do want to talk about what we talked about on the Mullen Haw Show on Friday about where Cespedes fits in and where Oscar Colas may fit in, and maybe there's a, a room for a free agent outfielder there in a crowded outfield picture for the White Sox. But when we come back, we are going to shift gears. We're going to talk about some of those prospects as well on both sides of town with Jim Callis who has joined us before and is an expert in the field right here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.